Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, a podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders focusing on extraordinary teams. I'm delighted to have wrestled the host role back from Shah after last week's wonderful podcast with Colin, custodian of culture. Uh, really, really enjoyed that one. I thought it was magnificent. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks. Vicky's in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire. Shah's over in the Netherlands. Wouldn't it be interesting one day if we could maybe record one of these face to face? Who knows? Who knows? So, Shah, you're going to introduce today's guest. I certainly am. And Sam, I'm very happy to hand over the baton back to you. You do a much better job than I do. Um, oh, I thought you did. I thought you did very, very well. I thought I might be out you. of a job. but <laughs> I appreciate that. So, yes, today's guest is Pippa Hutchinson. And I'm delighted to say that Pippa's one of our advisors at the Amplified Group. We asked her to be an advisor because she just has such a breadth of experience. And one of the other things that Pippa helped us with actually is we created a report some time back called How to Achieve an Agile Organization with an Empowered Workforce. And we really struggled to be able to articulate the results that came out of that report from 200 uh, IT leaders that we surveyed, but Pippa um, was able to really bring that report to life. And so um, delighted to have Pippa on here today. Pippa's got, as I said, a huge amount of experience in business, and uh, I'm really looking forward to her sharing that. So with that, Pippa, maybe just give us, um, a, just a, a, before we get into the detail, just a high level view of your career history, if you would. Thank you. Thanks, Shah. Thanks very much for having me along. So, quick potted background. I started in 1990, in the last century, at uh, Tesco on their graduate training scheme in their commercial division, which, if I'm honest, was a really high-pressure, very macho climate to go and uh, arrive in. Uh, quite cutthroat, very fast-paced, uh, very results-driven, but I loved it. And I went in there as a graduate trainee and the way that the scheme worked was you sort of traversed across different roles from buying to marketing roles up through the ranks. Um, so I started at, right at the very bottom and ended up in my final role at Tesco as strategic marketing controller for food in the UK. So trying to come up with some big brush ideas on how to take the food business forward, trying to look... Um, over the hill and see what trends were coming through for example what was happening in organic food what was happening in gm foods what was happening it was what we called at the time in functional foods all sorts of things so that we could be ahead of the curve in terms of our food strategy that role finished in 2001 i went on to work for bbc bbc worldwide as head of marketing for children's publishing great role slightly tricky in the sense that at that point i didn't have any children of my own so trying to um, have any empathy with the Teletubbies was a bit of a, a tough ask but there we go I managed it um, <laughs> and then I was working with BBC Worldwide at the time when the new brands of CBBs and the new CBBC brands were born so that was quite exciting and then I packed in work to have a, my first child and then as I started to ingrain myself back into the workplace again after child number two I went to work for a procurement consultancy, which was sort of a boutique version of one of the, the big five. And there I had a fascinating time working with EMI Music, uh, watching the, the death of recorded music as it became a victim of piracy and supermarkets selling now albums. 
And then most recently, uh, back in 2015, I joined forces with my business partner, Jonathan Lane, and we run SR Consulting. And it comes full circle in the sense that the reason for being of SR Consulting is to take everything that's good about working in a corporate environment in terms of the, sim the simplicity and the key ways of working that are so straightforward, it's not true, but are very potent and, and powerful and have real um, impact on the bottom line. A lot of those key ways of working can so easily be translated into smaller businesses um, with great effect because it's not rocket science. And so what Jonathan and I do is take a lot of the learnings from big businesses and put them into smaller businesses and help small business owners who are feeling really frustrated and overwhelmed with the day-to-day -day running get some clarity and, and purpose into how they go about planning for the success of their own business. Thanks for that. I can see totally see the value in the uh, consultancy that you're engaged in these days. So Vicky, do you want to give us some background as to why we've brought Pepper onto the podcast today, please? Thanks, Sam. Yes, I'd love to. So on the last podcast, we heard from Colin Brown, who we describe as the custodian of culture, and he took Softcat from just about 100 million to just under 2 billion, and he focused on the culture, and that's very much what he talked about on his podcast. We would say that Softcat has really maintained its organisational fitness, and that's really the topic that we're going to talk about today, because knowing Pippa and her experience at Tesco's through the 90s, Tesco's was in a really good place from an organisation perspective. It was really very fit. And, you know, you can listen to this and conclude for yourself whether you think Tesco's maintained that organisational fitness. But. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to listening to this because you'll see such similarities between what Pippa's going to share us, even though it's a completely different industry, and what we heard from Colin last time. Thanks, Vicky. That sounds like it's going to be a really interesting show today. So, so Pippa, do you want to talk us through your experiences at Tesco's then? In, back in the 1990s, Tesco basically transformed itself from being an also-run run to being the UK's biggest leading supermarket by the end of the decade and now it's the, the world's third biggest retailer so it's absolutely huge and that is in the main down to the CEO-ship of Terry Leahy. He became the CEO in 1997 and he's now regarded as one of the UK's most admired business leaders but what he engendered within that business was absolutely remarkable and very leading edge for the, for the time. And I, I saw it, I saw firsthand how he embraced and he cascaded just some really fundamental guiding principles down through that business. Um, and he refers to, he's written a book since called, called Management in 10 Key Words. And there are a few of those words that absolutely stand out and resonate with me. What I would regard as, as a recipe for how that business became as successful as it did. I think they're the key drivers of that, of that success. So out of the 10 words, four of them stood out. And the, the words for me were, values and trust enabled by uh, balance and simplicity. And he absolutely nailed the values aspect. I think that's really what I want to talk to you about most today in terms of what he did. So he went into that business and he said, 
I can be your CEO and I can give you a top-down version of what I think the values of this business are. But actually, if I do that, all I'm going to end up with is a lack of buy-in from the ground troops. You know, from, from the ground up, if I dictate how we're all going to behave and what we um, live and breathe every day, how we go about our normal business, you will lose traction with that because it hasn't come from you. So what I really want to do is I want to have a two-pronged approach. I want to understand what our customers are saying about our business and what needs to change. And I want to know what you as people who work within the business think Tesco stands for. I want to know what you think it stands for currently and what you think it should stand for. And what are the ways of working that will keep you on side? Um, and he, what he was basically saying was, I want you to have a sense of belonging. I want you to feel like this is as much your Tesco as it is mine. And so on, on that basis, he organized a road trip effectively where for about a year or so after he became CEO, he went around the country and he went, did a deep dive into every single department, every store, every um, tier of management, you know, he'd, he'd sort of root and branch um, visiting of every single person that worked within that business. And he garnered the people together into groups of 30, 40 people. And he asked us uh, sort of uh, various different groupings, what we believed, he would literally arrange people into round tables and he would stand in the middle of the tables and he would say, Right, today, he'd set the scene, but he didn't lecture us in terms of his thinking. He would just say, I've got two key questions for you today. And the questions are, what do you think Tesco stands for currently? And what do you think it should stand for? And he opened the floor then. And all of the conversation and the dialogue that naturally emerged from those two questions being sprung at us developed into reams and reams of fantastic insight into how people felt about where they worked and what what good would look like. And out of that, he distilled all of that language and all of those emotions, and he pulled out of it some real key drivers. Um, and the two key drivers that he said were absolutely pivotal and instrumental to, to the bedrock of the business were, you know, he said, what I've heard from you telling me is that we as Tesco, we are saying out loud, nobody tries harder than Tesco for its customers. That was his first value that he said, what you've everything you've told me distills into that. That's effectively what I'm praising from what you've said. And he said, now of that, that means that we're going to be energetic. We're going to be innovative. We're going to be first for customers. We're going to understand our customers better than anybody else. And the second value that he was uh, treat people how we like to be treated. And he said, again, this is a mantra for me. This is something that we all have said we want to see happen. And this is what we will all subscribe to. And then the other thing was that he would just brought in simplicity. So he said, I'm not into complex strategy for the sake of it. I don't want a textbook on strategy. I basically want us to be the best that we can be and to understand our customers better than anybody else. And from that, I want us to have some basic principles around being in stock having the best food offer of any retailer, accelerating our presence in non-food. And it's about that. That's about it, really. And be I've got to say, simplicity is <laughs> massively underrated as, as yeah. a, a key tenet of strategy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's simple, everybody can get behind it. And that's why I mean it's a recipe, because 
you, you, you need mm -hmm. the four things to work in unison. You need the trust and the values to yeah. be absolutely instinctive within everybody that works in that organization. But it has to be within a framework of it being dead simple. And the final. It's, re it's really interesting. There are some yeah. real parallels to SoftCat. That's yeah. what I was just thinking, Sam. Just having having just recorded with Colin. With Colin, yeah. What yeah. he's just said, Pip, and what yeah. you've just said, apart from the bit about food, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was almost exactly the same. Peter, the founder of Softcat, always used to say, well, we could be selling silly hats on Oxford Street. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't you know, matter. it's same same as, you know, Tesco could have been selling beds or um cars or trains or anything you know yeah it, it's it just so happened that it was food and then food yeah and then. precisely but yeah. but the other the other thing that it made me made me think as well is one of the reasons that Shara and I absolutely love the Lencioni stuff is yeah. because of its simplicity yeah absolutely. and the six questions so I'm taking two new startups through the six questions tomorrow why would you go it anymore and be more complicated mm. exactly yeah and i love the way that lencioni describes you know this whole dis demystifying strategy piece it's not don't call it strategy call it what's our intention to be successful you know we talk about the six critical questions and i'm using those right now and sometimes i'm kind of embarrassed when i first say i'm going to send it to a c-level team or a leadership team because i think they're going to think this is really simple but my goodness when they come back with you know very unaligned responses to those six critical questions it's such a great basis yeah. to work on with that team yeah, yeah but the yeah. other thing that um i'm listening to right now is about getting your purpose is one thing understanding what your purpose is is one thing but then being able to picture where you want to go with that purpose so what's what's the next thing that you want to what do you want it to look like so yeah. this yeah. is our purpose this is where yeah. we're going but yeah. what do you how do you visualize that in a yeah. month's time or six months time yeah. yes. and, and then every time that the organization or the team start to lose their way you can go back and say, remember why we're doing yes, it. Precisely. Let's just remind ourselves. There's a lot to be said for simplifying strategy and demystifying it because um, you've got to put your ego to one side, haven't you? And this is what Terry Leahy did. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to go to the city and the board with some grandiose plans because I need to justify my role. Uh, I'm not going to come out with some strategy from a textbook I'm literally going to use the people to to linchpin that strategy together to hang it all on what the customers and my staff are telling me we need to do, because they're the guys who live and breathe this every day. They've got the answers, not the textbook, not the city, not the board who are sitting in a, for want of a better phrase, an ivory tower. Um, and it was the simplicity of it. And he was terrified. You know, he he admitted that he was terrified of going back to the board and saying, this is what we're going to do. He was terrified of being knocked back and somebody saying, oh, for God's sake, is that it? You know, that's too that's too easy. We could all think of that, but nobody did that. Everybody said, absolutely. It's, it's, all, it's all in the execution. You know, yeah. we were always very open with what our admittedly relatively simple and straightforward strategy was, as I glibly refer to it, sell more stuff to more people. Um, mm. But it was about how you executed on that. Yeah. It was yeah. about 
getting everybody pulling in the same direction and blooming well doing it. Yes. Which is, that's that's the bit that's hard. And and the embodiment of all of that is what he credits the success of the business with, because he said that we went from being Tesco went from being an also ran and that it was always on the coattails of Sainsbury and M&S through the 90s because it didn't know what it stood for. And when he really nailed down those values, he said, now that we all feel those values and there are values, that's what differentiates us because we, we genuinely believe that we do try harder than M&S and Sainsbury's to please our customers. And because we came up with it, we've subscribed to that. That's ours now. And that's what differentiates us and, and stands us out from the, from, the, from the rest of the crowd. So that's how the values came about, I think, from, from him. And, and making it so simple because, you know, that's really not an, a piece out of a textbook, is it? No one tries harder for customers. That's everybody on that shop floor saying, I tried blinking hard for customers. I'll always go out of my way to, you know, I'll walk them to the, to the bit where the tea bags are. I won't just tell them it's in aisle number four. I'll walk them down there. I'll ask them if that's everything they needed. Can I do anything else for them? Or I will open another checkout because I can see there are four people and a baby crying and it's starting to get a bit angsty down there. So I'm always thinking, I'm always thinking, what can I do next? And he wanted it, and Vicky refers to it as uh, muscle memory. And that's precisely what he wanted the values to do within Tesco. He wanted them to become habitual. And the only way they can be habitual is if the people have come up with them themselves. Because if it's a diktat from above, you've got no chance. Um, and, and that's where I think, and that's why I sound quite passionate about it because I am, because I absolutely saw it firsthand that him creating and engendering a climate where we came up with the values was, that's what made us successful. Fantastic. That makes so much sense. Doesn't you, it? And you, so simple. Well, you do make it sound really simple. Obviously it's, you know, things can be both simple and blooming difficult to do at the same time, but yeah. it sounds like they've <laughs> absolutely got it right. Something else that you've just said, um, I was having a conversation last week with Stuart Fenton and we were talking about Jack Walsh's book and his principles around great leadership and he talked about the four E's and the four E's were energy, energize, edge which is make tough good decisions and execution and then he said he added a fifth to it. And I was thinking, what could that fifth be? And um, my, the thing that's missing from, from those four E's there, from a leadership perspective that you've just talked about with Terry is listen. Yeah. And that was the one that I said back. I said, it's listen, because you've got, you've got to be able to listen. And that is that putting the ego aside and listening yeah. to everybody else. I think it's yeah, so underrated and so powerful. And actually the one that was missing was passion. And I said, sorry, I'm rewriting this. I'm taking passion off and I'm putting listening in because mm. I think it's, I think it's really critical. Mm. I put it into my CV in between Citrix and VMware and John, my other half looked at it and he went, what are you putting listening in there for? He said, everybody listens. That's ridiculous. I said, they don't. Oh. <laughs> no. Um, what did Stefan say to you, Vicky? Two of those, one of these. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's two ears and one mouth. And yes, yeah. he taught me that a long time ago and mm. it has absolutely stuck with me. And as you know, as we've said before, you know, the the, the little emblem of our, of our team at the Mware was a tiny person with enormous ears because that was we were we were 
the voice of the field. We were listening to the field and then playing that back to the leadership team. That's really interesting. When, when I used to do some of the, the new start training at Softcat and I talk about getting to grips with trying to sell more complex and more interesting solutions. And I, I use that two ears, one mouth thing because I tell people that there was no way on God's earth that you could sell somebody something that they didn't want. But if you understood their problems and their challenges and what was going on in their business and where they were going, it was much easier to sell them something because you could sell them something that they wanted, they needed, was useful to their business. And mm. and if you did that, they'd bloody love you. So, you know, that's not just an internal thing. I think that's also external learning too. Yeah. And, and what, what happened in Tesco was that Phil Clark came in and because he was so autocratic and then he started sacking his inner sanctum because he didn't trust anybody. So he, he, he would just, he went with a swathe through his top sort of hierarchy and completely disenfranchised his closest team around him. And the ripple effect that that had through the business was incredible to the extent where people on the shop floor felt completely disengaged with working for the business. And the opposite of that was what Terry described as the value coming to life when he said, you know, he knew it was working when people on the shop floor went above and beyond to help somebody find something in the store. And, it, and he said that for him was a more powerful business driver than any corporate advertising spend you could check of it. Because mm. it was about corporate spend, that was important. But the real, if you're a customer, and I think he's right, as, as a customer, I'm far more persuaded and um, uh, feel loyal to a business if somebody is personally taking care of me in a shop yeah then if you stick yeah. a an advert on the telly that's too remote for me so what he said was that that was a perfect example of where the values had bedded down sufficiently so that the person on the shop floor was as engaged as the marketing director interesting and part of that was because it was the people on the ground who came up with the values mm. That's really interesting. So, uh, Shah and Vicky might not know this, but I actually worked for Tesco quite a, quite a bit <laughs> oh, in, in the mid to late 90s. Oh, interesting. So I did a, a, a tour, <laughs> tour of duty um, before, before I went off to university. So that would have been summer of 94. Um, and then I worked there again for... I, I guess probably a year after I graduated and it was actually a really good place to work and Interesting. The, the people were magnificent and the values of the customer comes first were really really evident and you know there were one or two really shit managers yeah yeah of course but yeah. but you know it's a big organization that happens um and I actually applied to the got for the graduate management program um which i would have joined in i guess 98 or 99 or something which is when i ended up joining softcat because uh, apparently there were 10,000 applicants and i got through to the final 200 was that to and go into store sam or into head office or what was the well it, it, it was it was a rotation so you'd spend some time oh, right, in head okay. office some time in store i guess yeah. the idea was that you've got fast track to sort of store manager yeah, yeah. level but it could have been anywhere yeah. Um, within the organisation, um, yeah, they took they took thirty people on of the of that final two hundred that I was part of, and I didn't quite make the cut, um, which is why I ended up joining Softcat to, <laughs> to to get some experience before going off, going off and getting a real job. Um, 
Let's so we could have, we, I, I could have ended up working for you in a different. I was going to say you could have been one of my um, protégés. Yeah. yeah, I could have. <laughs> How weird would that have been? That's so bizarre, isn't it? So maybe you turned me down. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it was your decision that <laughs> how could you turn our Sam down <laughs> you know I'm sorry what? Sam I'm really sorry you know what I'm very Never happy to your name. I'm, I'm very happy, you I'm quite very well happy out of it. yeah that's it I, I, I ain't complaining, I, ain't complaining. <laughs> no. I, just, I just thought it was really but it, it's funny because I think you know, I always tell people that that grounding in sort of real customer-facing retail was really important because I took that kind of customer is always right sort of mentality that was initially drummed into me. You know, they stick you on the on stick me on customer services as a seventeen-year-old pre-university, and they'd say basically whatever the customer bring, brings back, you return it and you give them their money back. You know, it's the easiest job. You know, you weren't there to argue. Yeah. You were there to make their life better. Yeah, 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 yeah. And some of the stuff was just ridiculous. But yeah. we take it back anyway. We give them a credit. And, you know, yeah. that that was drummed into me. And I think I took that forward. And, you know, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe some of my soft cap experience and success yeah. was because of some of the learning that I had at, at it Tesco. It really interesting to see had you done that sort of part-time work again five years after that under... Mm. Philip Clark, to what extent you wouldn't have felt um, that it was an impressive organisation to work for. Yeah. Felt a bit disconnected from everybody and everything. I mean, I, I must admit, I stopped shopping at that store that I was a part of, you know, because it kind of, they got rid of all the old dears who worked the checkouts who were lovely, but probably weren't, probably weren't very efficient. But they knew all the customers who came through and they were all really sweet and they called everybody duck and love. Yeah, yeah. things like that yeah. <laughs> you know but that's and, that's uh, yeah, that's the personal face of the, the organization isn't yeah. it yeah that's what he did yeah. Clark did that he went and cut a sway through not only his top gang yeah but right he just cut he, he was on such a cost-cutting mission that he cut yeah. the heart out of the organization basically he yeah what a shame what a shame so Pippa I got an important question to ask you where do you shop Tesco. <laughs> Good for you. So you still got and some. I gave, I gave up actually. I packed it. I packed Tesco in for a while because I was so peed off with them. Uh, just I thought they were woeful about three years ago. I thought they were just a disaster. They weren't, and they, they, they went through the same um, set of challenges and issues that they'd gone through when Lee had sort of gone in and tried to turn around. In, in other words, they were all, they were trying to be all things to all people. And, and as a result, they weren't anything to anybody. So they weren't they weren't the cheapest. They weren't the best quality. They were just sort of in no man's land, really. And they, uh, the Aldi and Lidl have been on their heels since the beginning of the nineties, mm. and have just never stopped nibbling away at them. And it's really, really, it's it's still such a strong competitive force. And so they've always got this sort of tension between trying to be a waitrose with the quality and being as cheap as an Aldi or an Asda or a Lidl. It's um, really hard that. Yeah, and I just can. said on the last podcast, actually, about the fact that, um, you know, having a good leadership team, having a good feeling within throughout the organization for your people is your competitive advantage. And it obviously was because in this cutthroat competitive world, there are so many people, things biting at your ankles 
that if you've got a solid team, that's your competitive advantage. Completely. And it's proven at, uh, at Sofcat, it's proven we're, we're at the time that you were at Tesco's. Yeah. yeah. And he, and, and he, out of real respect for him, for Terry Leahy, he was trying to make that point very early on in his CEO-ship, that's the phrase, because he's a very calm and considered man who really understands that people make the whole thing tick. But not everybody above him and around him was prepared to sort of give him that latitude to work that one out for himself because that doesn't come to fruition overnight, does it? That's mm. that's not the same as launching an advertising campaign and seeing the bottom line grow. That's a much much slower burn. Yeah. But he, through the courage of his conviction, said, "No, I'm. I, it will probably take me two years longer to see any sea change, and I'm going. I'm going ground up, and I want to talk to as many customers as possible." Was the other side of the coin. So he went on a road trip, basically, and we all had to go on it with him. So we would all go on customer focus groups where um, he would basically go and sit and, and in a room with 30 Tesco customers who'd been invited at random to talk about what they liked and didn't like about the business. And it, and it could be as simple as the trolley. My bloody trolley never wheels in the right direction. <laughs> that yeah. perennial supermarket favourite. Yeah, but that ended up on the <clears throat> That ended up on the corporate strategy. Yeah. Such yeah. a thing for so many people that the trolley didn't wheel, that it became for the property de- or the estates department one of their key steers of their strategy was sort out your trolleys. <laughs> <laughs> you you try being the, being the guy who ended up doing any job that they were short of people for, and having yeah. to go out and collect twenty of those bastards yeah. and bring them all back. <laughs> so they, you know, they again. It was um, and what was another great example? Oh, there was a sandwich example where. Terry basically said he was looking for productivity gains and simplifying processes. And again, he wanted the teams on, 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 sort of on the ground to give him the ideas on how things could be improved. And some bloke said, well, I just get so fed up when I'm on, when I'm on a checkout because um, every time you reduce the price of the sandwiches, you overstick the, the um, we have to look at the barcode on the back of the oh. barcode on the front. Why is there not just one barcode? And the sandwich supplier said, well, you told us not to put the barcode on the front because it doesn't look aesthetically very nice. And somebody else said, but we don't care if it doesn't look very nice. It's just, it's sell far more sandwiches. Those bloody reduced labels. (laughs) So um, it was things like that where the people on the ground were coming up with the ideas and the trust was embedded slowly but surely because Terry would go, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah, really interesting. we We had real sort of engagement right down in the you know in the, the foot soldiers upwards and how yeah. great must that person that had made that suggestion feel yeah if it, if it hits yeah it's the pill yeah yeah it's when i was at college and doing business tom peters in search of excellence he used to talk about management by wandering around yeah um, yeah exactly the same that that's exactly what terry lee he did he said i'm just going to wander around this business yeah it might take me two years that's what Martin did. He, you know, he'd go, go to, he'd, when I was working in the Manchester office, he'd pitch up in the Manchester office and I, I kid you not, he would walk around and shake hands with everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and that, even though he was, as we referred to earlier, you know, could be a little bit intimidating, that meant that people felt that they could approach him. Well, that's, and that's precisely what Terry Lee, he said. He said, yeah. people- Freak, you know, because he'd give them an hour's notice because there's no point preparing a store because it then you yeah. know it's- <clears throat> then it's a big thing, yeah, yeah. Your homework as well. So he said, no, I'll, I'll give them an hour's notice that I'm on my way, 
and I'm just going to pitch up. And I'm not going to I'm not going to criticize people, or if I do, I will do it. You know, I won't criticize the ground crew because they can't take it. They need to know that they're doing a good job. Yeah, I'm going to fire off some bullets. I'll do it higher up the food chain. Yeah. Hit the manager who's paid to be in receipt of those bullets. And yes, yeah, and, and, good, good, good old Richard Head at store 2002, which I think was the Tesco Loudwater, if I remember rightly, the yeah. store designation. But, but Richard Head, what a name! Terry said, <laughs> Yeah, Terry Lee, he said, I'm not a charismatic guy and I'm not going to pretend to be a charismatic guy, but what I am is really honest and authentic and I tell it how it is. Mm. And I really believe in what I'm saying. And I think that's how I'll carry people along with me. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, well, exactly. Like you said, intimidated. But uh, going back to what you were saying about going out on the floor, um, this is something that, Vic, we came across, didn't we, recently with Beacon Force, who were the, the organisation yeah. that we're partnering with. Right now, you can't walk out on the floor, right? So you've got to walk the virtual floor. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you know how people are feeling or what they're doing because not about what they're doing because obviously that's a different example because they're doing the job and you're checking how that job is going but how people are right now feeling about their day-to-day -day work and their day-to-day -day well-being is something that you can't do so this gives you the the virtual floor walk so to speak which is what you just described there yeah, yeah. and it is important to keep at the coal face and to understand what people are really feeling and doing yeah precisely and where, where he said that the simple approach really worked was because everybody knew what the bigger picture was and he did but it was yeah. their job to know the detail so he would but he would keep people on track by saying so you know our top objective is to be in stock how are we doing with that and they would answer that question so it was just a few sort of key questions would kickstart a conversation and he could ask those questions across the whole organisation, wherever he went, whatever he was doing. He just had a basic, simple list, as they did. So he, he was very into, he, he um, again, it's, I think he was the vanguard of this, really. Can, and, uh, almost all organisations at corporates will do it now. But he really bought into the corporate steering wheel approach, the balanced steering wheel. Mm. And, so and how did you, as a manager, Pippa, you know, you talk about him a lot, mm. but obviously you managed a, group, a, a team or a group of people uh, how how did you take that on and you know apply it so to speak to to what you did every day yeah we it, so each of us would have you would have your sort of corporate objectives um, and then you would distill that down into how that um impinged on your day-to-day -day role and your team on how it impinged on your day-to-day -day team's role as well. Um, so I would have, um, it, it was all, again, it was just about simplicity and communication. And we were always taught to communicate, communicate, communicate. <laughs> you can't have enough of communication. And you make it really, you know, the five, I know you talk about the five minute stand-ups as well. So we would be quite, um, we, we, what happened in the 90s was he got a bunch of consultants in called Jet Cap Gemini. And they came into the business and they taught us basically how to run meetings efficiently so that you had an outcome that was measurable and, and everybody had bought into. So if we, so for example, in my role, I would have a template. I'll give you an example. I would be, what would I have been? When I was the customer planning manager for frozen food. So I'd be like the, mark, the head of marketing for frozen food is the best way of describing that. And I would have a team of 
six, seven, eight people or whatever, 10 people. I would have a template of what the corporate objectives were and then how they distilled into my day-to-day -day role. So how does being stock as a corporate objective, how does that devolve down into being in stock at frozen food? Or how does have the best food offer as in the best quality of food versus Waitrose or whoever, Sainsbury, how does that work in terms of what we did at frozen food level? And so all of these objectives would distill down to the next level. So that's the simple bit in terms of, I knew exactly what my objectives were and therefore the team's objectives were, but then it was about how you get that living and breathing from one day to the next. And that was where the communication piece comes in. So we would have meetings where we would describe what our action plan was to be the best in ice cream for the next year. And we'd coalesce the team around that core objective and we would go into that meeting. And before we had that meeting, we would gather everybody's expectations of what they were thinking they were gonna get out of that session. So it was all about, before we have this meeting, what are you all aiming to get out of this session today? And then we would go in and we would talk through um, it wasn't agendered really, but it was, you know, what we're going to do today is we're going to agree an action plan for how we're the best in ice cream for the next year. And does that meet everybody's expectations? Yes or no kind of thing. You get into the session and we would, you would literally have a um, flip chart. So it was never on paper or typed. It was literally written up on a flip chart and you'd have everything that we described, all the next steps as we called them, not actions, next steps would be flipped up onto the chart. And every single one of those next steps was given an owner and a timeline. And if we described issues that we couldn't work through or there were disagreements in the room, that was either resolved in the meeting itself or it was car parked, but it was never lost sight of. So we would have a car park for issues as well. So we'd say, if you think the answer is that we need a finest range of vanilla ice cream, or you think that you don't believe in that, you think we need to be cheaper on value ice cream, then we, we might not get a resolution that, to that today, but we need to get to the nub of that issue because otherwise we can't progress. So we'll come back and we'll revisit that and we will make sure we've got a time to come back and revisit that and work that through as a secondary issue. And we would have, every morning, we would have five minutes where we would literally go through, have a breakfast meeting, what are the priorities for today? And we would work those through and we would revisit them at the end of the day. Um, it we sounds very, very much like I understand now, Pippa, why you absolutely get what we do out of the Amplify group and, and that you get the methodology of the five behaviours and Patrick Lencioni because it's, it, it's, it, it isn't rocket science, no. but it's so smart and it's very much how you've just described it, but in a different way. So it's not new. It's making no. sure that you do it right it, and it's, on it. It precisely and it, there are a few other sort of I think ingredients in the recipe as well it's about um, and this sounds cliche but it's really true it's about hearts as well as minds so you could give me a set of values but unless I subscribe to them because I've helped to come up with them I'm not going to live them so it, it's about and, and they've got to be simple and they've got to be tangible so mm. me knowing that if I'm not in stock of carp door when it's 95 degrees or of lollies for the kids to eat when it's 95 degrees on a hot summer's day my ass was on the line basically but it was you know but that was that was it was so simple to understand. you get a frosty reception get a very frosty reception well sorry 
possibly worse than frosty. <laughs> um yeah it was it was it was so simple to understand and so simple to execute as a result because there's no ambiguity over something like that Mm. well that's the importance of clarity isn't it which is another thing that we really talk about the other point about that was it was this freedom to make mistakes as well so i made loads of mistakes i mean my god i've been hauled up in front of um tell you how many times i've been hauled up in front of senior managers in there and given you know read the riot act but always is with a smirk on their face. And they go, do, do it again. You, you didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm on that one, girl. <clears throat> Don't do it again. And you go, no, 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 I get it now. I won't do it again. And it was always it was that leadership style of, you were never let off the hook, but you were but you were given the latitude to make some mistakes. So Pippa, would you be so kind as to give us maybe your three takeaways of what you've learned over your stellar career? Can I give you four? Mm, I don't know, Shah, Vicky, is that permitted? <laughs> I think I yeah. think we'll let you. I think we'll yeah, let you. Yeah, for Pippa, <laughs> I think is permitted. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. As so, is you. Thank you. <laughs> so it really pivots around four words for me in in terms of the, the takeaways, um, and it's kind of a, a an approach that I use all the time now in business life and with the, the small businesses that I work with. Um, and, and it's this, what I would consider to be a, a recipe, if you like, uh, the four key words for me that have their own set of actions attached to them are when you go into a, a business and advise them and when you're in a business and running it, the, the, the ways to focus your mind are to think about the values that you want to engender within your business and that make sure that everybody, that those values come from the people within the business, not just from you as a, as a diktat, that they are values that live and breathe, that they relate back to why that business was started in the first place. So they are reflective of a genuine, authentic um, reason for launching a business or starting a business or what your customers are telling you about a business. They're not a strap line on an advertising slogan. They're not a billboard. They're not a, something that looks good in a report for the city they are heartfelt and authentic and come from the people in the organization, not a marketing guru somewhere. Um, so that's the, the first takeaway is it, how values are absolutely instrumental to successful business. And then in this recipe, if you like, for how uh, you can create this unstoppable momentum as we like to refer to it of, of growth and profitability, I think the second key ingredient in this recipe is trust. Um, and it's about giving people within the organization that latitude and that freedom to make mistakes, uh, to learn as they go along, to not be dictated to by somebody who has more experience than them. Um, because yes, experience is important, but ambition and enthusiasm can also count for a lot. And being given that freedom to, to carve your own role as I was in Tesco are absolutely fundamental. So trust the people around you um, and allow everybody to debate things together, to resolve issues together to the point where you are a proper team who are all uh, moving in the same direction because you've built that uh, relationship where you genuinely trust each other's judgment and you feel that whatever is on your mind, you've been given that um, freedom to be able to express it and it's been worked through as an issue so that you build together effectively. 
So we've got values and trust, which I think are intrinsic qualities within the organization, but the enablers for those, if you like, in terms of the, the recipe for how this success of a business comes about, the final two aspects are simplicity and balance. Um, and it's about having a strategy or more so having an intention of how you wish to succeed, what's going to carve you out from the rest of the crowd and make you successful, but make it simple. Don't overcomplicate what it is that you're trying to achieve as a business. And within Tesco, the strategy came from the customers. They were the ones that said, this is how I want to shop. This is why I want to shop with you. This is why I don't shop with you currently. This is what other people are doing better. And from all of that um, collaboration and insight from your customers, distill that down into three key strategic anchors that will define your success, but make it simple so that everybody in that organization can subscribe to it and live and breathe it. It's, and I think the final ingredient is balance, which is um, the antidote to silos, if you like. So it's about ensuring that you don't then have a mentality within your business of silos appearing where you have various departments vying against each other. And it's about, within Tesco, we referred to it as the balanced scorecard, but it was about ensuring that our objectives for people were as valid as our objectives for financial success. So if you're as a business only ever looking at um, a KPI of your turnover of your profit, you're not getting it in terms of what defines the success of your business because it's too, uh, you know, a, a, a KPI of profitability is a lagging indicator of success. It's not a success factor in its own right. Whether you can recruit the best people, retain the best people, stand out from the crowd in terms of your customers, those are real KPIs. So it's about having a balance of KPIs across the business and making sure that you don't have these silos appearing where people are vying against each other. Um, measuring innovation, measuring morale, they're all absolutely crucial in terms of the, that recipe for success. Um, and don't lose sight of the balanced approach. So four things, trust and values, intrinsic within the business, but underpinned and enabled by balance and simplicity. And those are my four takeaways, Sam, not three, but there you go. <laughs> One takeaway so, is a recipe. <laughs> uh, so the the thing that you were just talking about with balance, and you know, Shah talked about Beacon Force earlier. It's it's rather than being a lagging indicator, it's absolutely been seen by the the early adopters as a leading indicator because if you can see the intrinsic motivation of your team, and you know the trust that's in Precisely. the organisation, yeah. then you're going to be you're able to predict what the outcomes for the business are going to be. And actually Unilever, that's what their quote says. That yeah. was their experience. They were able to absolutely correlate the intrinsic motivators against revenue per head in the sales team. It's quite astonishing. It is. And I think this is uh, for a lot of businesses, this is new thinking, isn't it? This is an appreciation yes. that that balance across the piece um, is so vital that if you can measure morale and you can demonstrate that that has a, a direct effect on productivity and therefore the bottom line, yeah. <laughs> that's very powerful, um, but very important. And I think Tesco sort of 30 years ago, 25 years ago, had already got that concept and so many other corporates hadn't. Yeah. And now I think the rest of the business world has caught up or, or beginning to. 
I agree with you completely. I, I think it's the, the impact that the street has had. I think even that is starting to, to recognise now. And, and actually, you know, even in, in the podcast that we had last week with Colin, it was so refreshing to hear that the investors in Softcat recognised that the magic at Softcat was created by looking after the people. Yeah. Yeah. And if we got that wrong, we'd have been the same as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Really cool. Thanks so much, Pippa. So, Shah, you better lead us into hero time. I'm going to, Sam, but before I do, what I've been listening to with Pippa and the reason why Pippa, as I said earlier, gets what we do is because everything she said just resonates so much with us at the Amplified Group. You know, the model that we have, the five dysfunctions of a team, is simple but not simplistic. And it's just based on five principles. That's it. Trust. You know, if you can have productive conflict, if you can commit and have accountability with your peers, and if you can then come together, you've got the collective results. So I'm going to just say now that on the, the show notes, I'm going to put a link to the five dysfunctions of a team book by Patrick Lencioni, because I think it's a really good read for anybody that wants a simple but not simplistic model mm. that actually is measurable and works because it has all of the things that Pip has been talking about in there. Mm. So with that, yes, I'm going to go on to hero time. I love this bit, of course. Um, so I always say it and uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to repeat the fact that uh, the name of our brand at the Amplify Group is called Hero. He's a stick man and he has a cape and it's about making our clients the heroes because they are the heroes that recognize the need for uniting their teams and making those talented individuals that they have in their organizations into extraordinary teams. And rather than just thinking about hero, it could be somebody just that you admire, Pippa, somebody that you looked at recently and thought wow you know I, I really look up to that person or somebody in your past that has helped you get through things uh, with your families or personally it's just about really um, recognizing that and, and listening from you and and having a bit of the personal Pippa so uh, with that what, what do you reckon Pippa? Yeah it was a really difficult question to to get my head around I because there are so many business people that I admire but I wouldn't necessarily refer to them as heroes. I think I'm a little bit too equivocal <laughs> and cynical to refer to uh, uh, people in the business world as, as outright heroes. Uh, somebody that I admire very much in a business sense is James Watt from Brewdog, because I think he's a fascinating character and I love their business approach. I think their business model is, is quite revolutionary, especially... Um, equity for punks and uh, and all their other op operations that they run are just fascinating but really if I'm being honest heroes don't come out of the business world for me heroes are more about um, icons that I've grown up with and that have inspired me along the way and I find fascinating and when Victoria Wood died in 2016 I felt like it was a friend of the family that had died I took it really really badly and that might sound really daft because you know I didn't know the woman from Adam but mm. she was um, just an icon for me as I grew up all through my 
early 20s reeling off wooden Walter sketches with my best mate uh she just was just I think if I'd ever met her I would have curtsied <laughs> you know she was <laughs> she was just uh the most phenomenally bright um self-effacing wonderfully clever observational humor like I've never seen before I just thought she was a fascinating woman um and she was so, as I say, self-effacing and never credited, credited herself with any particular ability, uh, desperately shy in her own life, um, and yet just had this capacity to just take life and just exaggerate it one tiny quarter turn of the dial so that it be, went from being something we would all say, particularly as Northerners, every day of the week to being something that was just ever so exaggerated so slightly that it became hilarious and that's a really rare skill um and I just thought she was a wonderful person and I wish she was still here even though I didn't know her <laughs> but there you go thank you Pippa and 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 funny enough you know that's why I love this section because a lot of the times you hear about particularly somebody they admired and then you realize it's somebody you admire and I I absolutely feel exactly the same way about Victoria Wood as you do and as a southern Jessie I still love <laughs> yeah, you Welsh so you're not really a southern Jessie I'm Welsh I'm kind of on that I'm on that line yes at Cardiff um, <laughs> but she she was an amazing woman and I think it was her intelligence mm -hmm. that I loved the fact that she could spin something on a wheel. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. Um, and now, Sam, over to you to close us off. Thank you very much. Cardiff's just a suburb of Bristol, isn't it? <gasps> oh, my goodness. I, well, I, I actually... I, I, was, I, I, was, I was born in Bristol, so I can give you that. I think you've rendered me speechless because I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> That's, a That's a first. <laughs> brilliant brilliant sorry i apologize unreservedly for that remark. you know at the start i said it was great having sam back at the house because he was better you know we could always do that retirement thing sam <laughs> fine fine <laughs> no we wouldn't be able to survive without you you wouldn't for sure thank you very much well, thank you, Pippa. That was really fascinating, especially given my experiences, as I referred to, from, from being a brief part of the Tesco firmament, albeit at a very, very uh, low level. Just really, really interesting to understand more about the organisation and some of your journey. So thank you for that. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. Your comments, your suggestions and your subscriptions are, of course, gratefully received. And we'll see you next week. saying I preferred it this way as in when I couldn't speak <laughs> keep that in <laughs> oh. oh don't sorry that was mean of me <laughs> funny though <laughs> he's being cheeky today I've completely lost it now so oh.